Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're honored that you join us here. Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. We chose that name because we believe that the words and ways of Jesus are very beautiful. And so each week we're bringing content to help make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and dive in to this past Sunday's sermon. Today, I want to talk about our identity in Christ and dealing with imposter syndrome. Who's ever heard of imposter syndrome? Let me read a definition. Imposter syndrome is a psychological occurrence in which people doubt their skills, talents, or accomplishments and have a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as frauds. So who here struggles with imposter syndrome? Amen. Who is afraid to raise your hand because you feel like other people struggle with imposter syndrome more than you and you'd feel like an imposter by identifying as one? Amen. Amen. I actually see some sincere hands. And so I I believe that you're not the only one dealing with imposter syndrome, these feelings of I'm a fraud or where do I belong or I'm not good enough, I'm not performing. And so it's just a matter of time before I'm exposed for the reality that I am. And so you're not the only one dealing with this. And I I don't believe it's by accident. In fact, when we even open up the first book in the Bible and look at the first chapter in Genesis 1, we see a a talk in a a story of identity. And I want to read it. In Genesis 1, 26, then God said, Let us make human beings in our image, say it with me, to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds, the livestock, the animals, and all those who scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so God says, I want to create people, and they're going to be like us. They're going to carry the image of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so every single one of us that are humans, we are carriers of the image of God. And then we see the first temptation and the first sin of humanity. And we talked about how the enemy of our souls, the Satan, the devil, gets us to uh, doubt the existence of God. And if he can't get us to doubt the existence of God, he attempts to get us to doubt the character of God. But then moving on, we see that this serpent gets Adam and Eve to doubt their own identity with the very thing God said about humans. Let's explain. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals. One day he asked the woman, did God really say? So he's sowing the seeds of suspicion. Did God really say? And then you need to eat this fruit because you're not going to die. And then verse 4, the enemy says, you won't die if you eat that forbidden fruit. And this is where he attacks their identity. The serpent says, God knows that your eyes will be opened if you eat that forbidden fruit, the fruit that you're not allowed to eat as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So track with me. God says, I've created people that are like me, carry my image. And then the enemy says, hey, disobey God and eat this fruit so you can be like God. So the serpent tempts them with the thing that they already possess. Are you tracking with me? And there's this an attack, an identity. Who am I? What am I? And you're not alone. This is a temptation as old as the scriptures itself. And I relate most of the time in my life growing up, I felt like an imposter. 
My full name is Pradeep Anjeev Manohar and Sivaretnam, and I grew up in Minnesota, specifically Coon Rapids, Minnesota. I didn't feel quite Sri Lankan, being the only American-born Sri Lankan in my family, but I didn't feel fully American either, and it was this identity crisis. In fact, I went by the name Ben until I was 13 years old. I was just Uncle Ben to my friends. And uh, except for the Jamaicans I grew up, for some reason they called me Steven. It's because my name is Pradeepan and my family as a nickname calls me Theban. And so my, my friends would hear Ben, short for Theban, and Jamaicans would hear Steven. I, I liked it and I embraced it. But it was this whole identity. In fact, a lot of the people of color I know that grew up in America had like their cultural background legal name. And then they're like American name. Anybody here having an American name growing up? What, were, what was your American name? Just shout it out. What is it? Jay? Oh, I call you Jay. <laughs> What's your name? Day Yoon. Day Yoon. son. All right. Uh, I love it. And so American name, in fact, uh, Amritha, she's Amritha Jeeva Manoharan. When I met her, I was like, what's your name? She's like, I'm Amy Miller. I was like, what? <laughs> what's your real name? She said, uh, I'm Ritha. And so I, I grew this name, Ben. And then I, I started to embrace my Sri Lankan heritage. I was like, you know what? I can't eat curry with my hands. I can do this, embracing my American culture. You know what? I can't eat uh, hamburgers with my hands. Uh, and if, I'm not ashamed if I eat pizza with a knife and fork. It's okay. And sometimes I might even put a pineapple on it. It's okay. Just started embracing all of who I am. I, I just felt like, okay, I went by Ben, but you know what? I am Pradeep enough. Kind of inspired by Barbie. I am Pradeep enough. I can embrace who I am and my identity, embracing all these backgrounds. If you haven't seen the Barbie movie, you don't understand what this is, but I am Pradeep enough. But I, I believe that we can relate. As a culture, as a society, as America, we're struggling with identity issues. Where are my people? Where do I belong? What's my sexuality? What's my gender? What's my political party? What side of the issue am I supposed to support? We're always feeling ways to not get canceled so we can make sure that we belong. And I believe that this causes us to feel these feelings of imposter syndrome. Let me uh, read a list of signs maybe you're struggling with imposter syndrome, and maybe you'll resonate with some of these. Here's some signs. You're afraid of being outed as a fraud, feeling unworthy of success. You dismiss positive feedback, thinking people are just being nice. You're distrusting of others. You're constantly over-preparing and blaming accomplishments on luck. You feel under-trained. Uh, you don't try things because of fear of failure. You feel shame about your accomplishments. You know, I've just been really resonating and studying this idea of imposter syndrome. There's this doctor, Dr. Valerie, who wrote some kind of categories that maybe you'll identify with as far as signs of uh, imposter syndrome. The perfectionist, maybe this is you. This type is focused on how something is done and will feel like a failure with even the smallest mistake or the expert. This type is concerned about what or how much they know or can do. They feel like a failure if they have even a tiny lack of knowledge in something. The soloist, this type cares about the who. They feel like they cannot take help from others if they want to be successful. Uh, the natural genius, they measure their worth by how in one accomplishment 
happen in terms of ease and speed. They're ashamed to take extra time or need to redo something. The superwoman slash superman slash super student, this type measures their accomplishments by how many roles they can juggle and excel in. Anybody resonate with imposter syndrome today? And I, I don't think that this is by accident. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit today would maybe illuminate this idea, bring you some awareness, and offer some scriptural perspective on how do we handle this. And so First thing I just want to really rephrase in a way that we can take with us is point number one, I believe that if Satan can't get you to doubt the existence and character of God, he'll get you to doubt yourself. And this is in the book of Genesis. This is also in the New Testament, even in the story and life of Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus Christ, before he did any miracles, before he taught any sermons, before he had any disciples, he was baptized in the waters, Jordan. And I, I want to read this and show you something that happens immediately after he is baptized that attacks his identity. After his baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling in on him, it says in Matthew 3. And a voice from heaven said, this is identity. This is the Heavenly Father speaking identity over Jesus Christ, his son. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Keep in mind, he hasn't done any miracle yet. Hasn't taught any, he hasn't performed at all. He has just been given this great compliment by God without it being motivated by performance. Then in the very next verse, it goes on to chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days, he fasted, became very hungry. Then the devil comes with that same kind of temptation. And so this is after God says, this is my dearly loved son. This is his identity. Then the devil says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. If you really are this identity, then you need to perform in this way. Do you see what's happening here? The devil says, if you are the son of God, after the heavenly father said, you are my dearly loved son. And I think many of us can relate to this because we have this voice of accusation and condemnation in our head that's constantly saying, if you were really a Christian, you'd be doing this. If you were actually a good person, you'd be like this. If you actually love God, you would perform in this way. If you really carried the image of God, you would never do something this bad. And so our identity is constantly intact and and we're forced to prove it through performance. This is the scheme of the devil. I think we need to be aware of this attack on identity. If you're feeling imposter syndrome, I don't feel it's by accident. I mean, I know the schemes of the devil when I go to Starbucks. I mean, when I order food and they ask me my name, I know when they call me out, they're going to pronounce my name wrong. I'm not surprised. I'm not confused. I'm going to get my drink. I know when I say, okay, my name's Pradeepin, and then I, I get my flat white coffee, and it's ready, and they say, per diem. <laughs> we got a drink for per diem. I know they're talking to me. Why? Because I'm aware of the tactics of Starbucks. <laughs> when they yell out, hey, pretty pants. I know they're talking to me because I'm aware of their tactics. And these voices in our head that are condemning us and accusing us and causing us to doubt ourselves, are you aware of their origin? Do you realize that self-condemnation has an origin? And it's 
trying to get you to doubt yourself. And so we learn that if Satan can't get us to doubt the existence of God, he gets us to doubt the character of God. If he can't get us to doubt the character of God, he'll get us to doubt ourselves. He did it with Adam and Eve in the garden and Jesus in the desert, and he'll do it for you here in the Seattle region. And so point number two I want to share is this. Satan wanted Jesus to prove his identity through performance. But for Jesus and all of God's children, our identity isn't achieved, it's simply received. I love this quote by Pastor Timothy Keller. He writes, if our identity is in our work rather than Christ, success will go to our heads and failure will go to our hearts. And so we live in a culture that wants to find our identity in performance and work. I got this kind of job. I have this kind of status. I earn this kind of house. I have these kind of possessions. But our identity isn't something that's earned through performance. It's something that's received from the voice of our Heavenly Father. You know, over the summer, we preached through the book of Galatians, and there was this verse in chapter 4, and it says this, talking about this battle of identity. And I want to present to you this battle of having an identity of a slave versus having an identity of a child. And it says this, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who are slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us all to call out, Abba, Father, which is like saying, Daddy. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. This is a scripture about identity. You were once slaves to the law, thinking your right standing with God was because you performed well enough. You didn't sin long enough. You checked off the boxes of your performance, and that's why you have a good relationship with God. But then in Galatians, we learn, no, we're not slaves to performance. God has adopted us because he wanted to. And so this identity, this image, we didn't create it for ourselves. We were born carrying the image of God. And we've been adopted into the family of Christ. Like, I love my kids. I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. But if I love them based on their performance, they would be unloved children. <laughs> They're kind of lazy. They don't do the dishes. They don't do my taxes. They don't help me mow the lawn. They don't get me dressed in the morning. They don't do a thing but I still love them because I chose to love them because they're my children and I get to choose who I love. In the same way, your performance doesn't earn you the love of God. I think a lot of us are working for God's love when we're simply called to work from God's love. We're already loved just as we are with our sins, with our performance. And God doesn't love the version of yourself you pretend to be. He loves you as you are right now. You know, in, in 2020, I had to ask myself, am I, am I treating God like a perk or a person? Am I treating God like someone as a means to get what I want? If I have a good relationship with God, then my prayers will be answered. 
You know, in 2020, we had planted this church. We grew before the pandemic shutdowns. And then our church went from like 500 at our high point to 38 people. And a lot of us pastors, we have our identity and performance. Am I a good speaker? Am I a good leader? Is our church growing? Do people think we're heretics? And when people leave, it hurts us because they're leaving the influence that we have as pastors. But then as everything was stripped away, as we're preaching to cameras for 58 weeks, I couldn't get the validation from the people around me in my identity. And I had to ask myself, is it enough to just simply enjoy the presence of God? Is God a means to an end? Is he a perk? Or is he a person? But then as I spent time in the presence of God, realizing like, oh man, I can't impress anybody, but God, you still want to be with me just because of who I am, because I didn't have anything to offer God, yet he still wanted to be with me. And as I drew near to God, I felt his presence. He drew near to me. And honestly, this was a time where a lot of people were leaving the church in general in America. If you were in this political camp or this political camp, people would leave. If you were trying to be just loyal to Jesus and didn't uh, provide an echo chamber for political partisan realities, people would leave you. And so it hurt like every time because you're not this enough, you're not this enough, you need to be canceled because you said this or you need to be canceled because you didn't say this. And it was like, it was an identity thing. I mean, some of you probably even relate like getting canceled from going to your Thanksgiving dinners because of the, the way you thought or something you said. And it was like this identity crisis. What side of the aisle are we on in our culture? Anybody relate with that? But then when you realize you can't please everybody, but God still wants to be with us. And your identity is rooted in Christ. And even if you don't align with everybody or perform like they want or say what they want, you're still deeply loved by God. I think this is the beautiful news of the gospel, that our identity is simply received, it's not achieved. And this idea of a slave versus a child is something that resonated with me, because a slave mindset says, Lord, I have to perform for you, I have to work hard, my only value is what I have to offer you. Uh, The mentality of a child is, hey, you love me just because I'm yours. And now I want to read some maybe uh, things that you can... Uh, that will help you understand the difference between a slave mindset and a child mindset. But slaves, they have a a work-based mentality. They're looking for performance and approval. Is that your relationship with God? You're just trying to fight for approval with God. You constantly fear the Father's disapproval. Oh, I messed up. I can't pray. God doesn't want to have anything to do with me because I I sinned today. No. Uh, A slave feels examined and monitored. God's like waiting for you to fail. We fear the father's rejection and discipline. Must compete with other slaves for the father's attention. Exists on a probationary basis. Always afraid of being put out. Always anxious in the father's presence. That's a a slave mentality. Now let's compare that to the mentality of a child. Uh, It's relationship-based. Our identity is in Christ. Uh, We experience security in the father's heart and affirmation. We feel accepted and free. We, we're not sinning because of uh, this legal standing. We just don't want to break the Father's heart. Uh, we're not threatened by others. We live with a deep sense of belonging, and we're at rest and at home in the Father's presence. So this is the mentality of a child. Do you have a slave mentality or a child mentality? I mean, yes, we serve God as master, but I believe that's the lowest level of our relationship with him. He no longer calls us slaves but children. 
And even Jesus takes it further and says, I no longer call you this or that. I call you friends. I mean, God wants this kind of relationship with us. You know, there's this great story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15 that illustrates it. It's called the story of the prodigal son. And it's about this, this man, he had a son, and the son demanded an inheritance from the father, which in the culture is like saying, uh, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish I could get the house now. I could get the money now. And the son demanded his inheritance. The father gives it to him. And then in verse 13, the, the son left. He went to a distant land, and then he wasted all his money in wild living. His, his money ran out. A famine came. He became uh, just really food insecure. And so he began to work with pigs just to get their food. And even uh, the pods that the pigs ate looked appealing to him. As a Jewish man in that, cost, in that custom, eating the food that pigs ate would have been a very cultural low for him, but he still needed that food because he was so desperate. And so he has this mentality of a son. I deserve an inheritance, so I'm going to claim this as a son. But I want you to see how his mentality goes from son to slave or servant. So he says, uh, okay, when he finally came to his senses in verse 17, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father. So he sees him as a father. He's a son. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. Now, look, this is where he goes from son to slave. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. See how he switched? because of desperation, because of bad things. And maybe you relate like, oh my goodness, I'm going through this tragedy in my life because God's angry at me. God's not answering this prayer. I'm struggling like this because God, God, God has left me. So now I need to go back to him and grovel as a servant because surely I can't approach him as a son. So now I need to, God, please. Just, if, if I could just have a moment of your attention. God, God, I promise if I, I'll go to church every single week, I'll tithe, I'll live for you the rest of my life if you just answer this prayer for me, right? That's the mentality of a, a slave. It's not through relationship, it's through performance. God, it's tit for tat. It's, it's not covenant, it's contract. God, I will do this for you if you do this for me. And so the, the son says, okay, even my servants have it better, so Father, please take me on as a, a hired servant. But the story shifts here. And uh, point number three is this. I believe that the most important thing about us isn't our view of God, but God's view of us. And I believe that we can only love him because he first loved us. I know last week I quoted A.W. Tozer, and I said, uh, his quote, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Well, today, if I might argue with this very famous theologian, I don't quite agree with him. I don't think our view of God is the most important thing about us. I think God's view of us is the most important thing about us. I believe that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. And I want to show you in the scripture that the prodigal son, he returned home to the father, and he had this bad view of the father. He thought that maybe dad is so upset with me, and maybe he'll just take me on as a servant, because he can't take me on as a son. And so he returned to his father, and not from the right motives. He was like, I want to restore my relationship with God. He's like, I'm sick of eating pig food. I'm sick of being desperate. So it was a self-centered motivation to go to God. But how does the father respond? So he returned to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. 
had been looking for him. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, so this is the son's view. Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. That was his opinion. But the father, he didn't bend to the opinion of the son, the self-condemnation, the imposter syndrome. I can't be in right standing with you. His father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robes, this robe that identify him as part of the family, robes of righteousness in the house and put it on him. Get him a ring, a ring that signified authority for his finger. This son is worthy to rule with me. And sandals for his feet so that they can walk together again and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this, say it with me, son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. At this son's worst behavior, the father never changed his identity. He never called him simply a servant. He said, this is my son. I'm going to give him the best. He's going to rule with me. And we're going to have a party to celebrate that my son came back in his worst moment. See, our view of God isn't the most important thing about us. It's how does God see us? We love him because he first loved us. Can I get a good amen? amen. It's the good news of the gospel. I want to show you this video that so moved me. It's about this father receiving love from his stepdaughter. Now, the stepdaughter going through school had received little sticky notes from her stepdad every day. During middle school, my stepdad used to leave me a note on my door each day, she said, to inspire me. Well, I kept those notes, and it's been six years since then. Today, I gave him those notes back. And on those notes were encouragements, pieces of identity. You are my daughter. You are loved. You belong to this family. Simply receiving this identity, well, the cool thing is this daughter, she heard the message. She didn't let self-condemnation replace the father's compliments and encouragement. She received them, and then she took that and gave it as a gift back to him. Let's watch this video. Yes, go. What moved the heart of the father? Having a daughter who received his words of identity, encouragement, and having her return it back to him. It wasn't something she created in her own creativity or strength, her own performance or her own wisdom. It wasn't something that she accomplished by herself. She simply received the message of the loving father and returned it back to him, and it moved him to tears. The same applies for every single person in this room. 
God is speaking identity over you. He's saying, I love you right now as you are. I have great plans for you. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to have security. I want you to rest in my presence. I love being with you. I want to be with you for all eternity. You are mine, and I am yours. And the best gift we could ever give him is simply saying, Father, I receive your love. I just want to return it back to you. Not because of anything I've accomplished or done. Not because of my possessions. Not because of how people see me. Not because I hustle or I'm seeking this external validation. But because you spoke it over me that I am loved, that I have purpose, that I'm not a mistake, I'm not an accident. Because you said it, Father, I believe it. And so I'll live my life returning the love that you initiated. Isn't that good news, friends? that you are loved right now as you are. And so what does God say about us? He says that we are chosen. In Colossians, he says that we are beloved in Deuteronomy. He says that we are children in so many scriptures. He calls us friends. He calls us his workmanship, a masterpiece, a treasured possession. He calls us daughter. He calls us holy and blameless. He calls you the apple of his eye. He calls you blessed. He calls you redeemed. This is what God says. And when you have the validation of the Father, you don't need the validation of the world. And when you're dealing with imposter system, you, syndrome, you feel like it's a matter of time before you're exposed as a fraud. God knows who you really are when nobody's watching, and he still says you are loved. Yeah. Amen. Do you have a slave mindset or a child mindset? Because I'm telling you what, you will never earn the approval of God. You can spend your whole life working to gain his love, and you'll never accomplish it that way. Because our identity, our love is simply received, not achieved. And even for me, growing up in Coon Rapids, Minnesota, not feeling quite American, quite Sri Lankan, this, this weird mix, I never fully felt like I belonged. But you know where I, I felt security and identity really for the first time? Was in the arms of my heavenly father who said, son, I love you. Son, I have a plan for you. Son, you are mine and your identity is in me. I found a refuge and security and my prayer is that you would experience that in your life with God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this word. And I pray that you would help us who are dealing with imposter syndrome or those of us who have a slave mindset. We're just working and working and working. We're just like trying to stay in your good graces, God. We're trying to, to earn our position and our right standing with you. We feel like we're just not good enough. Oh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would hover in this room and put your worth your vision, your view into our hearts. And when that, that voice of self-condemnation rises up, Lord, I pray that even now you turn it down. And just like the devil said, if you are the son of God, you'll do this. We, we just turn that voice down and we receive your voice that says, you are my son. You are my daughter. A voice that says, you are loved. Even right now, could you just Stop resisting the love of God and would you receive it, not just in your mind, but in your heart? Would you open yourself up to the presence of the Lord loving you right now? He loves you. 
you are loved. Son of God, you are loved. Daughter of God, you are loved. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you convince these people of your love? You are loved, not because of what you do. And even with what you've done in the past, you are still loved by God who knows everything about you and still says, you are precious to me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. We'll be back here every week with fresh content. But hey, I want to give you an invitation to our Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you in person. We have multiple service times every single Sunday morning in downtown Bellevue, Washington. If you would be interested in joining us, just go to www.kalos.church. All the information you need is there. You can actually even click a link to sign up and save a seat so we can help make sure you feel comfortable coming and hanging out with us in person. So thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.